0: Do you think they're pressing right now? Oh, I hope so. You <laughs> bet. Yeah. I mean, it's human nature. You got a deadline. You're pressing to, to get it. You know, it is. It's, it's, it's the way life is. It's, can you function when you have that sense of urgency? That's the challenge, and just about in all walks of life. I mean, we all have. You know, We're late for something. You know, can you drive well? I mean, it's kind of what this is. You know, we there's we're trying to get to that finish line and and uh and have a chance to be the last team standing and all those goals are still there for us but uh, these are the times that uh, you know we've had we've had challenges this year don't have like it. We, we we don't we know it hasn't been a, always aesthetically pleasing but uh, I think because of the time of year and the things that are going on there's a lot more um rightful focus on it
1: Another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast here on this Sunday, September the 18th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet
2: at Mike Silva
1: Media and do the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at No G, Mike Silva Mets podcast.com. And I want to welcome in the good folks from the fan-sided podcasting network as well as RisingApple.com. Well, welcome to another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Mets just completing a seven-game homestand, one in which yours truly actually was in the building. And I think some of you interacted with me on Twitter as I was able to partake in Saturday night's Gary Cohen bobblehead. Yeah, I got little plug there on SNY, too, at the end. Maybe I'll talk a little bit. Some criticism with the hat I was wearing. I noticed you guys didn't like my orange and white blue bill, I think it is, Mets non-traditional hat. Ah, that's not what this is all about. We'll get to that. Maybe I'll make a few comments about that on the way out. But uh, really, the theme of this show, and I have a, a fun guest that's going to join us tonight, somebody that you know, uh, and I'm sure you know him because he's got – 24,000 followers, and he's been on uh, TBS and TNT for the baseball playoffs, for the NBA, also on MLB Network Radio. Casey Stern will be joining me in just a little bit. Uh, Casey has his own project now, uh, a podcast called Unfiltered. New York guy, Long Island guy, Mets fan growing up, Islanders fan. What better guy to get on a show like that than Casey Stern? So he'll join us in just a little bit to talk Mets baseball. But Throughout this homestand, I was thinking about one thing really, and let me preface it by saying this. The Mets very well may have lost the division this week, and I know you're probably saying, Mike, are you giving up? No, I'm not giving up, but the five games, the five-game losing streak at home, which some people, like I said last week, actually were, were blaming Timmy Trumpets on. I mean, come on. The stub your toe games or block of games, not a stub your toe game, a stub your toe series against the the Cubs, which sandwiched with that road trip was a stub your toe series against the Nats. Those five games very well may determine the division, because if you look at and we'll start there, if you look at the Braves schedule and the Mets schedule, you know, the Mets still have six games against what i would say playoff competition in milwaukee over the next 3 days and then the 3 games in atlanta and then the rest of this schedule is littered with nats, marlins, oakland, oakland in that sleepy coliseum next week. How many games, how many fans you think will be there? I mean, well, 2000 maybe. They're all probably heading to mandalay bay to watch the raiders play in vegas, but anyway, uh the Braves and you really thought with the 7 games against the Phillies after the road trip, and that's where the really the missed opportunity was. You know, the Braves go out to San Francisco, lose a couple of games. The Mets play the Cubs. That's a series where you could have picked up a couple of games, giving yourself some of that cushion for when the, you know, they go into Milwaukee or if they stub their toe in Oakland or whatever, or maybe they don't You know, they obviously give you a little bit of cushion going into the series in Atlanta. But when the Mets did not capitalize on that, I mean, all the pressure was on them to win all these games against the Pirates. And, I mean, the Phillies didn't even win a game in Atlanta. I mean, it was a series that was not nearly as competitive as the scores indicate. Now, they do go to Philadelphia next week for a four-game series, and the Phillies fighting for a wild card, similar to Milwaukee, with the Mets over the next few days. You would think that maybe they are able to grab a couple of games. But more and more, the difference in this division right now is is that the Braves quite simply playing at this 116, 117-win pace just don't lose against second division clubs. And in recent weeks, the Mets lost five games against them. So it kind of evens out that five-game spread where after the eighth inning, the Braves have lost eight games and the Mets have lost three. Mets haven't blown a game in the ninth inning all year. So the Mets have a big advantage there. They continue that trend today. So very well the Mets may have lost the division this week. Now that doesn't mean I'm giving up hope, nor do I believe this team has, you know, walking out of that locker room, you know, leaving for Milwaukee tonight, thinks that. Because the more you hear about these guys, I mean, the more you hear about veterans saying they're not going to celebrate any kind of crazy champagne celebration if, unless they win the division, the more you know you have a team that's looking at the long game and a team that wants to win a championship and Buck has them thinking and and, and essentially breathing championship. Now, this week, as the Mets were floundering against the Cubs... You can see the media and the fan base in a different camp. And this is really – and this has nothing to do with the Mets. This has to do with us. Us, me, as a member in that bridge I like to talk to you about. I'm the bridge between the mainstream media and you guys, the fan. And – what I really was thinking about is I'm watching the reaction of the Mets losing to the Cubs and people invoking the memories of 07 and giving up on this team and and all the chatter on Twitter. And sometimes I say to myself, well, it's just Twitter. Twitter's not the real world. Twitter is such a small subset of society, but you know, then you see places like WFAM where people are blaming Timmy Trumpets because the Mets haven't won a home game since they blew the trumpets with Diaz. And I'm saying to myself, well, this fan base still has a lot of issues, and it goes back to that yoke around their neck and, and how it takes a special team and a special GM and a special owner and a special group to really push forward, and and, and I see it before my eyes. So then I thought to myself, okay, let's start thinking about, because the Mets are going to, let, let's, let's put it out there. Mets are going to be in the playoffs. They're going to sometime in the next couple of days clinch a playoff spot. They need four wins to clinch pretty much the Best wild card record. So worst case scenario, if nothing works out and the Braves don't lose a game the rest of the year and the Mets don't win the division, they're going to be hosting three home playoff games at City Field against either the Padres, the Brewers, or the Phillies. One of those teams. And they're going to be tough games, and all three of those teams in a short series could really wreck the Mets' season. So... We're talking here on September 18th, a year later. Around this time last year, there was thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, nobody wanted to be the Mets team president. Uh, Steve Cohen's a failure. Lindor's a failure. Nothing was really looking right with the organization. You know, the GM was basically suspended. And this is on the heels of going through two GMs, actually three GMs if you count Brody Van Wagen, and plus the other three uh, Co GMS, you had six GMS in a matter of four years. Think about that. The three GMS, uh, Brody, the two GMS, one of which was here like five minutes, and Jared Porter. You had Cohen as the owner, not the owner back as the owner. All the things that happened from 2018 to 2022 had finally come to a head, almost like a zit. It was like bursting out of head. And here we are, a year later, and in fourteen with the fourteen games left in this season, the Mets just play pedestrian, mediocre. 500 baseball, which will be a disappointment with the competition they have in front of them because they still have very winnable series and games, games that they can run the table on like Oakland, like Miami, like Washington. Not easy, as you learned, because as I said going into this month, when everybody was licking their chops, I'm like, these series in September – When the football season starts, the baseball season gets real wacky because there are players on this team that are no-names that at one point in the next five years you're going to say, that's a pretty darn good player, but you didn't know that when you were watching these games. And just like there was this no-name guy coming out of the bullpen in Game 7 of the 2006 NLCS that was able to strike out Carlos Beltran with the bases loaded, who probably will be a Hall of Famer now as we look 16 years later. There are guys that, that are playing against the Mets with these second division clubs. They're going to be coveted uh, assets at some point in the next five or six years. So 7-7 seven and seven pedestrian record, worst-case scenario maybe. Mets are going to win 100 games. That's where we're at here a year later. A new manager and, you know, a new vibe. and And I, and I see that Sports Illustrated did a piece – on the Mets. And usually when Sports Illustrated does a piece on the Mets, it's it's not good. It was written by Stephanie Epstein, and it really talks about how the Mets have finally turned the corner. And there's a lot of interesting things in there. And it talks about Cohen and it talks about things you already know about how the Mets gone here. But most importantly, the center of all this is Buck Showalter. And I talk about the four-year contract or so in the next four years with Buck, which are Critical if they're going to win a championship. I think their window is this four-year window. And I asked a few weeks ago, is this the best chance for the Mets? I don't know. You know, it could be, you know, because they obviously have all these veterans that are going to be free agents. Very well, four years from now, we can look at this team and this season as their best chance, although the National League is wildly competitive. But things like accountability, leadership, winning, Buck Showalter's attention to detail— down to where they put the bat racks, down to where what they see when they walk into his, his his office with the where the bathroom is, you know how he's empowered the players to basically say, hey, it's very Pat Riley esque. I know you're tired of hearing it, but when Pete Alonso goes to Buck and says, can we get a pool table? The command and control manager that everybody would think Buck was would say, no, you know this is a place of business. This is a clubhouse. We're here to focus and be part of a championship team. No, he's not doing that. He's like, you want it? That's fine because guess what, guys? You all are adults. You all know that the goal here is to win a championship. How we get there, there might be some detours and some uh, distractions that you need to help you get there. So I'm trusting that this won't get in the way. I mean, today you were listening to Terrence Gore in the postgame, another one of these. In in, in one of, a special season, the Terrence Gores of the world always crop their way up. Who would have had on the bingo card of unknown Mets that will make an impact this year, Terrence Gore in spring training? I didn't. Did you? You know, you heard them playing ping pong in the background and all that other stuff. So this is a team that knows how to have fun. This is a team that knows how to uh, do its business, not get distracted, to the point where even Buck has turned off the announcers in the locker room, and you may say that's soft, but you know what? When you come in after you are striking out, do you want to hear Gary Keith and Ron talk about it? As much as they could be right about the criticism, reducing peripheral noise. That's a big – was always a big Riley thing with the Knicks. Get rid of all the peripheral noise and just focus on the common goal. And, and really when you read this piece with Sports Illustrated, you see how much of an impact Buck has had. Yes, Cohen's money and his $300 million payroll – Buck is not nearly as effective without it, although they would probably be maximizing their talent. And this is a guy that took, as I said when he got hired, an Orioles team that was on pace to finish as bad as the 1962 Mets and actually had a winning record about, I think it was 34-22 and 22 down the stretch. I think it was in 2010 or 2011, probably 2010 when he took over and very quickly had them a competitive team and in the playoffs perennially for a while until he was fired when when things went south. In 2018. So as I'm reading this article, as I'm looking at the position the Mets are, as disappointed as I was about how this 4-3 and homestanding was not up to the bar that you wanted it to be in order to stay pace and put yourself in the best position possible. Not that they're in a bad position, but they've made life for themselves that much harder with the Braves. I said to myself, what is acceptable for this team? What, is, what makes this a successful season? and i'm going to ask that to Casey Stern and we'll see what he has to say. And a lot of people are going to say world series are bust and i don't agree with that because i don't i don't think that that is a realistic goal. And some people will say playoffs and that may be too low low of a bar. But for me the way i look at it is for the five or six years we've been doing this show, especially since they came off the pennant and we started doing this show after the 2015 pennant winning season, the disappointing loss to the royals in the world series what everybody here has been striving for is an organization that shows competency and sustainability, that it wasn't just a one year and then the Mets fall off and then we hope that they somehow put everything together and win and all the you know disappointments and, and desires that never come to fruition. I really think now, as much as they certainly have deficiencies, this team, and they certainly uh, have shown that. You know, Maybe they're light in certain areas, but they've accomplished what we've all wanted so far this year. They've put a competent team that looks to be sustainable, that has a leader that I believe in Buck Showalter, although he may only be here four years as a manager, I think will set the f- foundation and standard going forward. I've said this before. I hope that they've got somebody they're grooming that's watching, whether it be Jeremy Hefner or somebody on this coaching staff, Eric Chavez, somebody. That when Buck decides, hey, I've had enough. It's time for me to st- take a step back. Maybe he does uh, that consultant or advisory role, a real advisory role, or a real kind of um, you know front office presence, not the honorary thing that you'd give to like an Al Lighter or a Terry Collins, people that quite honestly were you know were there because they were Mets, but somebody who can really continue to show. That they have the the knowledge and the ability to have their fingerprints all over this organization. I mean, if you read that Sports Illustrated article, you know the Mets got really fortunate that their their whole road came back to Buck Walter. It's a perfect guy at the right time for this team. So to me, they've they've kind of accomplished something so far. Now I know not winning divisions disappointment, and I believe for this group it will be, but to be hosting home playoff games, be in the mix in the tournament. Uh, Let's put facts in front of us. No DeGrom for 60% of the season. They've lost Scherzer for a third of the season. They, you know, Marte now will probably be out three or four weeks. They'll probably not have him for about 40 or 50 games for the season. You know, Escobar not having the greatest transition to New York here, whether that's because of an oblique or like they intimated, there might be other stuff going on, who knows. Obviously, they built a pretty good roster. They were lacking a little bit in the bullpen. They don't have the best young pitching depth, although McGill and Peterson and Trevor Williams big time saved their lunch on that because unlike other teams, like the Braves take a young pitcher moving from the bullpen into the starting rotation like Spencer Strider, and all of a sudden he's blossomed to an ace. The Mets don't have that right now. The Mets don't have great pitching depth. So when you really put everything in the blender, and if I had told you all these things in spring training... Would you believe here on September 18th we're talking about a team that's a game up, 7 wins away from 100 wins and in such a, a, a enviable position where they're going to their floor is going to be uh, a position that the Padres, the Phillies, the Brewers would would probably die for right now. I mean sure the Cardinals can maybe leapfrog them a little bit and and you know them and the Braves and maybe make this a little bit different but i don't know if that's going to happen. you know, it's still a nice five game spread. remember, there's only 14 games left to play here. we're not we don't have two months left to play. so i'm not waving the white flag after this homestand. what i'm saying is this, the mets have put themselves in a position where it's going to be really hard to win the division. mathematically and history, the recent history since June 1st, the Braves are probably going to run the table against the Nats over the next 10 days. So that's six wins already. The Mets are going to have to match that with their Oakland and their Miami and their Nats games, and they haven't proven that they can do that in any way, shape, or form. Scherzer coming back will help. Uh, you know they're going to have to win in Atlanta, and now they're in Milwaukee, and and just like the Braves have to go to Philadelphia later in the week, they're playing a team at uh, in their home turf on the road that is fighting for their playoff lives. So will the Phillies step up in Philadelphia and, and be more competitive than they were in Atlanta? Can't say it was very disappointing in the Phillies this weekend. Milwaukee's been hot. They gave the Yankees a hell of a time. So the Mets right now in the next week, especially over the next three or four days, while the Mets were feasting on the pirates and the Braves had the tougher of the two of the two series, you know, now it's flipped around. Now it's the Mets turn to play the tougher series on the road, but, Let's just take a step back, and I want to take a break and get to Casey Stern. Let's take a step back and really enjoy where this team is at a year later. And this is year one of what you hope is this nice four- or five-year window where, you know, and I say four- or five-year window because until I see the Mets farm start to move forward and develop, I don't know what the veteran team and the older players they have and how important a lot of these older players are, assuming that they're able to keep them and sign them move forward, you, know, you need to start seeing some stars come through the pipeline here. Now, you don't need to see them next year, and maybe that's Alvarez and Beatty, and maybe Vientos is a better DH than we think, but until you start to see these young kids in the Mets farm system contribute, and I get to see some pitchers that can be competent, even back in the rotation competent, It's going to be hard to see the Mets sustaining winning outside of this Buck-Schulwalter managerial contract window. Now, it's too early to make that declaration, but that's the challenge they have, and that's why – and I'll get to that later – why Billy Epler, who felt that making moves to the deadline and giving up any of his top 19 or 20 prospects was a bad move – a lot of people disagreed. We'll get to that on the outro on the way out here – is so critically important, so – Try to enjoy. It's been it's been frustrating. This last week has been frustrating. And the fact that the Mets are on this pace and they're still fighting for division reminds me a little bit of 1999 with the wild card where the Mets in 99 had that incredible run throughout the summer after the Bobby Valentine had made the proclamation when they had fallen under 500 at Yankee Stadium. And here they were. They had to win three games against the Pirates, the same Pirates team that they swept this weekend, a bad Pirates team. And they had to struggle to win those games. They had to win one in extras, They had to win another one on a wild pitch. They won the middle game in a laugher, but it was a late, you know, runs that kind of made it happen. But, um, you know, it's almost like that season where that, if they didn't win 97 games, they'd have to go home. And they had to play a playing game to get to the playoffs. So just because things aren't going as the plan says, doesn't mean that you can't have success. And sometimes you'd be surprised with how a team is being pushed how it prepares them so much better for the mountains they have to climb. In just a couple of short weeks, we'll be talking postseason baseball. So anyway, let's take a quick break. When I return, Casey Stern, formerly of MLB Network Radio, TNT, TBS. You've seen him on the NBA. You've seen him in the Major League Baseball playoffs. And obviously you used to hear him during drive time on the MLB Network Radio. Has a new project, Unfiltered, his own podcast. We'll talk Mets baseball with him. That and more. today
0: everybody in your crew identifies as either big mac burger mcnuggets or mccrispy sandwich but you're the filet fish sandwich all day that crispy fish that savory tartar sauce that melty cheese that pillowy bun yeah you get it every time
3: and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
0: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You, know, you, you earn everything in this game. And our guys are, are continue to earn it daily. They've got, you know, I've been able to see them win 90, whatever. How many games we want? I don't mean, know. I, mean, I don't know. But it's hard to do. It's really hard to, to beat a major league team four times and to do that against uh, at this time of the year, really proud.
1: We're back and joining me, you guys know him, MLB Network Radio. I've heard him on TNT with the NBA, TBS, uh, now has his own podcast, Unfiltered. Casey Stern, at Casey Stern, fellow Long Island native. He was born on Long Island. I transplanted, so he's more of a Long Islander than I am. And he's an Islanders fan, so you guys could like him, you could hate him, whatever. You know, I, I kind of am a little partial to the Islanders. I go back to the Pat LaFontaine days, so a little uh, uh, partial. Casey, welcome to the program here on this late September, September baseball,
4: October baseball right in front of us. My favorite hockey player ever, Pat LaFontaine. So we're already off to a good start. Always good to Well, catch let on. me ask
1: you this. I had yeah. a neighbor of mine back in the old Benson States that thought I had a
4: slight resemblance to Pat LaFontaine. Oh, yeah. I, Actually, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Actually, I, I've never thought – we've talked many times. I, I've never thought that. So there you yes. go.
1: You're not, and you know what? Those listening, he is not lying. I, if you don't know what I look like – and geez – I actually got a little cameo on SNY at the end of the game last night. I was at the ball game because some pirate fan had a little bag on his head. And I happened to got like in the shot because the camera well was right there. So maybe you guys could go back to the videotape and see if Casey's right. So thanks you, for you coming do. on, man. You do. Yeah,
4: <laughs> my pleasure, man. My, my pleasure. And you too, actually. I never thought that before, but you do. So, yeah. So so here
1: we are, uh, September the 18th. The Mets are, and it's an interesting uh, scenario. They're, they're, if they finish 500 the rest of the way, they're going to win 100 games. Uh, Sports Illustrated wrote an article about how much the organization has changed. Even Steve Cohen is talking the talk. No time for victory labs. Buck Showalter having this Pat Riley-esque type impact on the organization. Uh, you know, some young players or Billy, if you believe Billy Eppler, they have kept all 19 of their top prospects. And I get the vibe that anything less than a division will be looked at from the fan base and maybe the media as 2007-esque disappointment i disagree i understand it to a degree i know the clubhouse wants this this is going to be hard you know the math is not in their favor i'm sorry they, they blew an opportunity this week but where do you stand because i think that's a very high bar they're holding this team to after a year ago where they were
4: well first of all regardless of math they're going to play down here in atlanta where i am on the 30th of september for three games, and that's going to decide the division will you uh, be there be-
1: Will be uh, I will there?
4: be there. I will be there, yeah. So it'll be, it'll be within that uh, realm for, you know, depending upon – look, the Leeds dominated each other, not good news for the Mets because they got dominated here four out of five their last time. But I, I think it'll come down to that. I think talking about 2007 is ridiculous. Now, I covered the team. <clears throat> I was there every day during that. I remember I've never never seen even a press area as quiet as it was after Glavin was down 7 nothing in that game at the end of 2007, but they had a seven game lead on September 12th and everything all at once just went wrong. With Buck Showalter and Max Scherzer and Canna and Escobar, the culture has been changed. It's not only just Cohen from the ownership. It's it's not Billy Epler. It's the culture in the room. They have people who won't allow a collapse to happen. This isn't the Mets betting. If they lose the division, got to remember this. The Mets, even with the recent struggles, would have been on a 96-win pace if you go back to the beginning of the time where they had that 10-and-a-half-game lead. The Braves are at 116-win pace. When that team is beating you in a division, if they win by a game, they caught you. They took it. You didn't lose it. You didn't give it up. You didn't collapse. And to me, it comes down to what they do in a postseason. I'll just say one one other thing that I think is important for people to realize. Knocking off the Dodgers in seven games is going to be very difficult. In terms of when depth plays out in the postseason, that's going to be very hard. The loser of this division is going to get a chance to play the Phillies, as it would set up now. And both of these teams have beaten the crap out of the Phillies all year. It would then put you in a position to play the Dodgers in a five-game series versus seven. It is very likely that the loser of this division will have a better chance to represent the national league this year in the playoffs than the winner of this division beating the Dodgers in a seven game series is going to be extraordinarily difficult, even though the Mets won two out of three in the close games that they just had. So I actually don't look at it like winning a division. I think it would be great. But I think it comes down to they have to get to an LCS for this season, not to be a disappointment. If they get to the LCS, even if they lose, it's the first next step year with Steve Cohen. Now you can look at DeGrom and all the questions and now you move forward and try and get back again. They got to get to the LCS for it to matter, I think, for this season overall. So
1: if you if you see this team make it to the division series, losing a tough game five to a team like the Dodgers that, I mean, maybe I'm overstating it. They're like the baseball version, of the 96 Bulls. Sometimes, you know, some people have argued with me on that, but there's some, some credence to that. You would see that as a disappointment. You see that they need, because they're an older team, because of the moves they made uh, that getting to the championship series is the minimum bar. And if they miss that, um, you know, they got to roll up their sleeves, kind of say, Hey, we didn't achieve, I guess the bare minimum and get back to work.
4: I think if you ask the players in this team, one of the things that makes them great is that they're going to say anything beyond the World Series is a disappointment. You have to get to the World Series. I think even if they got disappointed in a moment, even if they got swept in a World Series, they would look at it as a successful season to get there. I think for this team, anything short of the World Series is a disappointment. For me, the way I look at it is, yeah, I think the barometer is the LCS because I think you go through a year where you're in first place for as long as they were. You do so many things. You have Degrom in a walk year. You've got Nimmo in a walk year. You've got Taiwan and Chris Bassett with questions there too. We know they have the money to fix these issues. We know if it's not Degrom, they'll spend money on someone else. I think we all understand it's a different feeling than when the Wilpons were there. They'll put together a winning team, right? You're gonna have max for right. another two years. Sure. But I, I look at it as they have to be in an LCS, and in you know the division is. More of a stamp, Mike, I think, on what this season as a regular season was and the statement that they've made than it is disappointment or not because even if they lost and got the wild card, they could go further than the Braves in the playoffs. That's still something that could be a likely possibility. The division is a statement of what this regular season is, but for the whole thing as a whole, for me, the LCS is something that's a must if you're going to say it's a successful season. Yeah,
1: And I, I was saying a couple of weeks ago that the way that Buck is managing this and I know it drives the fans crazy. Like today, I, I'm sure that many people were getting crazy. Joely Rodriguez coming in for two for two innings. It was but great. It was like, yeah,
4: it was great. And
1: you know what? Sometimes we have to understand they see things that we never see, even those that cover the team day in and day out. And I think Buck has been really good with the media. I think he holds them at bay. He gives them snippiness in a in a way where you don't feel you're being demeaned. But they see things we don't see, and they've been playing the long game for a while. He'll lose. He was willing to lose today, not to hurt somebody. They put Scherzer on the injured list. Now you talk about the Wilpons going back to, Hey, Pedro Martinez pitching when they're out of the race. Cause the gate is big. I don't know if Scherzer gets put on the uh, injured list. If Jeff Wilpons, the owner and you know, let's face it. He probably could have pitched through it. And I think it was the playoffs. He would have, but anybody that's paying attention and goes back to the transaction log every year. Scherzer's on the stable list for two weeks. Every year, go back to the that. He pulled himself out of a World Series game and pushed himself yes, back. This and came happens back and, and came,
3: back. came
1: back. So get used to it. This is who he is. He wants to be at peak performance. I don't think it's about being soft. I think it's about saying, no. hey, if you want Scherzer, who you paid forty three million dollars for. So they're looking to win, for lack of a better word, the war, not the battle. And I think that's the tough part here. You just kind of outlined my my whole thesis from a couple of weeks ago losing the battle may be necessitated to win the war because of the age. They're not a young team. You know, they're not like the Braves who have a lot of youth. They're an older team. And they're missing, let's face it, I think the biggest thing not being talked about, this Starling killer, great player. He's got a broken finger, um, similar to Albies. I don't know what we'll see of him before the year is out, um, but I'm hoping he'll be back for the postseason because I'm concerned now that he might not be, even though he's saying he will be.
4: I think he'll be back for the postseason either way. His issues with throwing. So what I think is going to be, you know, it's going to be very weird to have your everyday DH be arguably one of your two or three most best defensive players. But I think even if it was Marte as a DH, you're going to see him every day in the postseason. Uh, Right now his issue with that finger for people that I've talked to who are closer to it than we are is solely almost with throwing. It's not with hitting. And that gripping a bat is not hard for him. That that would be more of a concern. So sure. I think at, at worst, you're going to see him, which would be, again, very strange. Because he's DH is normally not good. But it would, it would solve your DH issue. Yep. Uh, but, Absolutely. But, but I think you're going to see him in the lineup every day in the postseason regardless. Right now, his issue is he can't throw as well as he wants. And he can't grip the ball to throw. And that's something where I think the way they're handling it now is the most important part. Now, look, we always talk about, it, and it is important. It's great to get at bats before the postseason to get yourself into a groove to see the ball and all those things. You may not have that luxury. He may come back and it may just be for the postseason. You may get him back two games at the end. But remember, winning a division backs things up another three, four days. We're in a situation like a Starling Marte. Here's another three, four days for him to have time to recover. And that may be the difference between him being ready to throw and play in the outfield or not. So just another advantageous part of that division, even though the layoff may hurt you in some ways, I think for some of the age and some of the injury concerns, that rest would be very helpful for the Mets.
1: You know, uh, I think you're right. If you start looking, I'm looking at the math here. Look, the, the the Braves have six of the next 10 against the Nats. Can the Nats maybe help? They owe the Mets a couple games here. They owe them a couple. I don't think they're going to get them, but they owe them a couple. They might get a
4: couple. They might get a couple. Uh,
1: you know, the, that's one of the things. If it goes down to the Mets lost five games against inferior competition that in in recent weeks and months, the Braves would not lose. They would not lose those kind of games in those five games, particularly these three against the Cubs. They may rue the losing those games. It happens. I think the biggest thing, and I laugh because the fans look at this like stratomatic baseball. And these are human beings. These are players playing for contracts for their baseball lives. You know, they love coming into city field and shoving it up the Mets. You know what, by the way, Think back to history, because usually it could teach you something. The Mets squeaked into the playoffs in 1999, a really good Mets team. They had to beat a bad Pirates team, and they barely beat those guys. Barely. Three games in a row. Barely. I was at those games. Even barely. the blowout, even the blowout on a Saturday night I was there, they had to blow that out late. Very similar to kind of the game today. So, you know, you go to 1998. They lost to a bad Expos, and Marlins team down the stretch. Um, you know, oh, teams Bautista like the Cardinals. Against,
4: uh, John Franco against Bautista. I, I remember yep. – like it was, oh god, what a disastrous series that was! Oh my <laughs> That's god, right, Miguel Batista, right? Because you didn't oh know Miguel Batista
1: was a good, a good pitcher back then. You didn't know, uh, you know, this guy Vlad Guerrero. Who, who is this guy, Vlad Guerrero? Right? These are the things that 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 come into play. And I think when I saw the schedule and everybody was breathing, uh, I'm like, not. Nah, you really can't. And and we'll see if it happens to the Braves. But this is the time of the year. Even with a 28-man roster, it was even wackier when you had all 40 guys out there. You just can't predict anything, and it's you got to throw the analytics out. I know that's sacrilegious by today's standards, and really weird stuff happens. As soon as football season starts, weird stuff happens in baseball. Let me tell you that.
4: Yeah, I think you know the other thing is, too, with the Mets is, first of all, people don't realize the, the element of this. Teams that come in at the end of the year that are that bad – there are guys playing for jobs. They're auditioning for next year. They're trying to sell their coaching staff and the manager on why they should have jobs the following year. They're auditioning for other teams that don't have contracts. You never know what's going to happen. So the idea that the Braves are just going to win all these games against the nationals, I'm not buying that. They may win five out of six, but you just hope that you win on the day that they lose so that you can pick up a game. I mean, that's really where it's played out. Remember this, the Giants have not had a good year at all, and they just took two out of three from the Braves, and everything has two sides. Where the Mets fan is thinking, how can we lose to the Cubs for three games? Imagine the Braves fan or the Braves player thinking, how did we not take advantage at all sure, in the standings? Sure. Flip it around. Losing?
1: Reframe it. Reframe everything. Sometimes you don't, have, you, you don't reframe this. And Daniel Murphy said this recently on a podcast, and I've always said this. You go into the, like, next week and they go into Oakland. What is there going to be? A couple thousand fans there, maybe. They're already—they're all flying down to Las Vegas to watch the Raiders out by Mandalay Bay. That's, That's what they're going right. to be That's doing. It's—it's right. it's got no energy, and it's like a, a, a inter squad game. And there is a component to that that plays, I think, into the sleepiness that lulls you to sleep. I know everybody's listening. You know, my dad's one of those guys. You know, they're big leaguers. Suck it up. Do this hard. Hard to do that because the other team has big leaguers too. And big leaguers, by the way, that we don't know who they are. I go back to, you mentioned those Expos players, Miguel Batista, Vlad Guerrero, 1998. We didn't know that they were good players back then.
4: They were good players. Well, here's the other thing too that people don't realize. I'll give you an example on Lindor. Go back about four, six weeks ago, however long it was, when Buck had come out before the game and said, I tried to sit Lindor down today. And he was like, no, I want to be out there. And Lindor got four hits and was the player in the game. And every Mets fan is on Twitter. Oh, my God, he's the man. Like, he's like, no, hell that. I'm not sitting down. Well, guess what? When Lindor then hit a wall three weeks later, and everybody's like, why does he look so tired? Well, that's because he told Buck, I'm not sitting down. And because the guy's played every freaking game this year, and he's exhausted. They're human beings. Well, what's amazing
1: to me about the Mets fan and – you know, we're all guilty of this. And and I think because you've been in the business a long time and you've seen the other side, I've been lucky that, although I haven't been in the business like you, I've been able to interact with players of different uh, classes, Hall of Famer on the the fence and understand it. But, you um, you know, these guys all are not appreciated in real time. Beltran, for example, not appreciated in real time. Delgado got a great ovation the other night at the ballpark. I'm listening to that. I'm laughing. I'm like, Delgado was one of the more polarizing figures in that clubhouse during that time. Everybody remembers the scattering board comment when they were playing lousy with the Phillies charging them. Everybody remembers that. Everybody disliked them at that point. Beltran will never, ever have to live down. Not only this, the strikeout that was, now look, Hall of Famer. We didn't know who Adam Wainwright was. All we knew was there was a scared young pitcher on the mound that the Mets did not take advantage of in that bottom half of the ninth inning and lost the game seven. They didn't realize they were facing a Hall of Famer. So in real time, we don't appreciate these guys. And we beat them up. And like Buck has said, the microscope, he talked about it last night in the post game with Escobar. And Escobar, who they kind of leaked out, I think it was Eric, uh, Eric Chavez, basically said he's got some stuff going on. It's not just an oblique. There's some stuff going on. And all year, he's been kind of this whipping post because he was supposed to lengthen the lineup. Now he has. So the microscope we put these guys under, and I know the Yankees fall under it too, but I think the Mets, to a certain degree this year, have been under a larger microscope in some ways. I, maybe that's just me being biased No, because, because of the history. Because, look, the funny part is, Casey, think of the chaos that has enveloped this team for four years. Uh, Terry gets fired. Callaway gets hired. Uh, Sandy Alderson steps down, three GMs run the team. Then you bring in an agent, Brody Van Wagenen. Uh, He fires Callaway, brings in a manager. Then he has to fire the other manager uh, and bring in the guy that he, you know, that nobody knows about. COVID then happens and they have that whole COVID season at that point. Then they have Cohen. Then they don't have Cohen. Then they have Cohen again. And then they got to fire. They got to fire the manager. They fire two more GMs. I mean, think about it. that's a lot in four years. And here we are on September 18th. And I'm not trying to rationalize and be Pollyannish. We're talking about a hundred wins.
4: No, sure. And it's a playoff wins, playoff. and nobody's happy. It seems like no, maybe but, that's the Twitter you're, world. You're, no, maybe it's that's not. The Twitter it's it's, it's, it's Mets fans. It's it's it is a psychosis of this fan base. So I always talk about like they don't have PTSD, they have what I call CTSD because it's consistent yes. traumatic stress disorder. Like they, and you used to fans, do
1: those therapies on MLB network radio. I remember yeah, that. If I, I, I'd be in the car on the LAE at 530. Yeah. in this case, they're <laughs> doing therapy, whatever <laughs> fan base would be coming yeah. up,
4: you know, they'll. Well, met, met fans are, you look, they don't enjoy anything, they're, they're miserable human beings. Like the <laughs> a great example, and I happen to be a giant fan, yeah. but the great example is the Jets today. The Jets are a joke. Here are all your receipts. They're losing by two touchdowns. And then an hour later, every Jet fan on the same Twitter timeline, oh, my God, amazing. Grab your receipts. Look at the win we got. That's a Met fan. 2015 is a great example. You watch that team. you got Soup Campbell and John Mayberry Jr. hitting on a Sunday night against the Yankees. You're a horse poop team. And Met fans are angry. Then they get Cespedes and all that greatness happens. You sort of enjoy a six-game, you know, stretch against the Nationals over two weeks that you finally take the division. And then, well, yep. well, we're not good enough to win anything when we get there. Then we're not going to be good enough here. They couldn't wait for Terry Collins to leave Harvey in too long, or for Amelia to be in a six-run game. Yep, because they just want to complain about something. Met fans do not understand that it is okay to be happy. And to your point lastly on Beltron met fans don't want to hear this it's okay but you can't take out a first year but after carlos beltron's first year he was the most consistent offensive player the new york mets have ever had
1: probably the best player on both sides of the ball all due respect to david wright he was not in beltron's class premium position both sides of the ball and look lindor i've been in the camp you brought up lindor guys overpaid if they had waited they didn't have to sign him look Cohen had to make a statement and he made it with Lindor. I would have waited out the year and see where it went. And he probably would have saved a hundred million dollars, not my money, but he's still a gold glove defender. He may not be the vocal leader, like a Ray Knight, but he's an energy leader, I think on this team. And the thing I, I think people overlook, and this is what Pete Alonso too. I know it's their job, but in today's day and age, they're playing every, every day. day. Every they're day. not taking days off. They don't want it to. All right. Pete gets a DH a couple of times. All right, you want to count those? Fine, I don't. But playing a demanding position, shortstop, even with the shift, where basically you're standing where you are, it's still a demanding position. In three, and Keith Hernandez said something I didn't even think about. He said it to Joel Sherman and John Heyman the other day. You're also playing an hour more than he did back in the '80s. Now you're standing around. I get it. And Bucks Buck basically said, "I don't want the sympathetic ears unless the checks bounce." I get it. Making thirty-five million dollars a year, no tears here. But think about. From a leadership standpoint, that was one of the things they applauded Derek Jeter for. He was there every day. He played every day. And think about the impact that kind of guy will have when the Vientos, if they stick, and the Alvarez is when they come up, and Beatty and so on and so forth. And I think that he deserves a lot of credit for that. And uh, he's having a heck of a year. And I think we're not appreciating how good he's been playing with a fractured finger. Could have went on the uh, IL, not DL at that point. So it's interesting you bring up Lindor because I think he's probably the poster child of the feeling of the Mets fan, this yoke. I talk about this yoke around the, the neck of the franchise. It's going to take a special group to get that broken. And I, and I think it, it's going to be hard and it's going to take a group to win a championship to do it. And even then there may still be some of that paranoia after that.
4: Well, first of all, he's the best shortstop the Mets have ever had. So in the, in the, in the pantheon of this franchise, it's the worst position on the field. And no offense at all to Buddy Harrelson or anybody else. But when you've got to bring up Ray Ordonez's name, among the best shortstop your franchise has ever had, you're already starting with a big problem. Uh, Rafael Santana, God bless him. He's there at Old Timer's Day. Kevin Elser, God bless him. Could, he was hitting 190, seemingly his whole Mets life. All right? Yep. They've never had good shortstops. Kurt Abbott was starting in a World Series. All yep. right? Mike Gordick right. was 78 years old. Wilmer Flores, I love him, is the worst defensive shortstop to ever play in a World Series, ever. So he's the best That's shortstop true. they've ever had, ever. He's the best shortstop the Mets have ever had where the jersey, everybody needs to grow up. Because guess what? Against the Yankees, in the two games everybody forgot about that, oh my God, these are the biggest games ever. He was the best player on the team. In the series against the Braves, That they had to win, that they almost won all four. He was the best player on the team. He's been huge all year. Outside of a double play that he hit into with the bases loaded about three, four days ago when everybody was screaming, Lindor's had big hits. He's made big plays, gold glove defense. He's posted every single day. He broke all the shortstop records and Met fans, honestly, when it comes to Lindor need to shut up. Seriously.
1: Billy Epler was interviewed in the New York post. Taught, there was a little postmortem that Joel Sherman was doing about the deadline. What's ironic about the deadline. And I always say this. And again, this goes back to someone like you who understands the game and has been around these players. People don't understand the upheaval that goes into it. Uh, Ian Happ was actually talking about it on the pregame show. I think what Wayne Randazzo about all the trade rumors. Now, people don't understand. They're thinking about, I'm going to get my seven days to move my family into a hotel and and, and go across country. So you look at Soto's results and Bell's results and Drury's results, and you could go and dice it in and say, look, those three guys and the moves the Padres made. Even though offensively, Vogelback and Naquin and and Ruff look the same. We know those are better players. And in a short series, you probably want to put your money on them. But that's why these deadline deals, or lack thereof, are not going to hurt the Mets. Uh, I would have liked them to get a closer. Would have loved for them to get Contreras-Robertson combo. They didn't. What I think is going to annoy Mets fans about Billy Epler is he's very... Uh, macro with the way he talks. He talks about probabilistic inc- uh, outcomes and how do you want a half a point better, or a point better. At some point, I'm laughing as I listen to him. Nobody's complaining because the Mets are in first place. Because no, they they're winning be the That's right. That's right. That's that's the part that's interesting because I feel like that's where you might need a. Pre- and they're gonna they're gonna get a business president. They're not gonna get a president that's gonna be involved in the baseball part. But I'm listening to Billy Epler talk. I'm like, you're gonna ruin a day because one day they're, you're gonna be in a wild card race. And you're going to be talking about probabilistic outcomes and you're not going to go for a a second closer. And this fan base is going to murder you. They really are. Now I don't disagree with him, but I also say, you know what, Billy, there's a big difference between those three guys and who the Mets got not saying he did the wrong thing. He says he kept his top 19 prospects. Uh, Again, do you feel that if they don't make it like to your bar, the the, uh, championship series, are you gonna to look to the deadline? Because right now it doesn't look like the deadline is the issue.
4: No, look, I, I the biggest problem I had with the deadline were not the bats. And as much as Met fans are so overly upset, obs- Nobody's more obsessed with their own. You know, you got people who had Dilson Herrera posters in their in their bedroom. I mean, so honestly, it's like, you know, really, I don't even want to hear. I mean, a lot, of prospect,
1: got, I mean, a lot like of prospect the, hugging. I mean,
4: Alex Escobar's or Alex Ochoa or how many other freaking sure. guys I can give you? The Paul Wilsons and the Bill Pulsifers, and the yada yep. yada yada. Right? Look, end of the day, eighth inning is where they they missed this boat, and that is the part where they may luck out in a couple of fronts. Number one, they have a really deep rotation. Why does that matter? Well, a lot of reasons. But when you get to shorten that rotation in the postseason, one thing Met fans aren't talking about because they're fighting for the division, that's going to be a big-time conundrum, is that whatever order of DeGrom and Max and Bassett you end up using, if you're in a seven-game series, you may not use more than that in five. But in seven, are you going with Carrasco? And is Taiwan Walker helping you in the bullpen? That's
1: That's a tough call because you don't know who's better suited for the bullpen. They do. And both have done well in spurts, but both could be underwhelming. You want to know who I trust? Probably Walker more with his stuff than Carrasco. But I have to say I was wrong about Carrasco. I had said for a while, the guy hasn't had a good year since 2018. That's a long time. He's done. He's washed up. Great story coming back from leukemia. He's pitched big for them, and he gives them length. And you talk about next year, and you talk about all these free agents, that's when the analytics and the, and the eyes don't meet. Because you could probably replace Carrasco in the offseason with a cheaper version, Peterson, McGill. But I promise you, unless these guys really make the next step, those guys are not giving you into the seventh, eighth inning, like Carrasco did multiple times this year, to save that's that right. bullpen. That's and, right, And, and I look at that veteran fit? that the veteran is probably where I would go. And that's where I bet your buck goes when it's all said and done, because I'm feeling Tywin Walker is probably better suited for coming out of the pen, but that will be an interesting call because they will, pro- if they don't win the division, those guys are probably going to have to pitch a game one, at least in the division series and a pivotal game one in a five game set. And be even, very if interesting.
4: They, even if they don't going back to the bullpen point, they then take a name out and shorten that group. And they give you an extra name to play with. So yep. maybe you're using Lugo more in an eighth inning than where in the sixth he was today, where it's Lugo and Adovino. Maybe you're sitting there because I don't know if you trust Peterson there. McGill is going to be interesting to watch down there. You know, I, I don't think Taiwan Walker has the kind of stuff for me that is an eighth inning guy. He's not a two-pitch mix guy. And neither necessarily is Carrasco, although Carrasco probably better suited because he could overuse the change up the way that he does successfully. I'll tell you what, in a, Casey, in a bullpen.
1: Peterson looked really good out of the pen. I know it's he the Pirates. He did. He's he got did. the kind of slider that would play well. If the guy uh, yes, could only throw lefties. strikes,
4: yes, yeah, if the guy lefties. could only
1: throw strikes, that's the big thing. If he could throw strikes. Yeah. I, I wonder where his future lies. I, I think he's a five starter. He's one of those guys, he's Steven Max. That's what he is. He's going to drive you crazy. He's going to look really good for three or four starts. And then he's going to have one of those Chicago starts, but he looked really good. I mean, good throwing strikes, good, good uh, dip on his slider. Uh, Wouldn't trust him in a big spot, but I wonder how that's going to play
4: out a little bit. You're going to hear, you're going to hear in the postseason if the Mets win the world series or do any damage, you're going to go back to 2019. The last time Max Scherzer won the world series. When they were in Game Five and that Dodgers set that they weren't supposed to win on the road, one of them started in Scherzer, the other one came out in Strasbourg. They actually reversed roles another time during the postseason. Yep. You're going to see Degrom out of the pen. You're going to see Scherzer out of the pen, both in October for this team. Yep. Both. And
1: and what you saw in spring training before Degrom's shoulder one break, after the
4: other in that game. You may I you may it. see that. You may I'll, see that give in real you, life.
1: I'll give you, as we wrap up here, and I appreciate you spending a lot of time here on a Sunday, I'll give you one little thing that I'm noticing with DeGrom, and it's not a storm cloud. It's probably part and parcel to being out the whole year. He's not the same once he hits 85 pitches. Those last 15 pitches, not yeah. the same pitcher. Still really good. Still really good. We're holding him to a very high bar. I noticed it against the Dodgers specifically. Now I saw it today. Now give O'Neal credit Uh you know he hit that one off one foot one hand not a great pitch but not a pitch that probably should be hit out let's face it uh maybe a pitch that you could do damage with uh he's not the same after 85 pitches that's something to look look for as we go down the stretch and
4: the question is whether or not he would say that they don't let the reins come off and he's not prepared for it sure. but the Mets would say that's why they're not letting them come off because yep. he's not and which one is it I, we have no idea but I think that's the argument behind the scenes, and you wonder how that plays into free agency because De wants to be out there to pitch and work through it. And the Mets are seeing the same thing that you are. That's why they were already planning on probably be pulling him maybe even before Cruz came up. And maybe Buck waited, I can't blame him for it, one at bat too long. But I think the the question of how the rotation of the bullpen are used is the biggest one now to watch when we get into the postseason. And I say this, I say it again. If they are successful in October, you're going to see DeGrom and Scherzer having big moments out of the bullpen for this team.
1: That's a great prediction. So what do you got coming up? Obviously, the Unfiltered Podcast, at Casey Stern, follow him on Twitter. You probably are if you're listening. He's got 24,000 followers. Um, What do you got coming up, Casey? What can listeners uh, know a little bit about what you're doing these days?
4: Well, uh, jump on Unfiltered. You can get into uh, the Twitter bio and get to my YouTube channel. You can also Apple, Spotify, everywhere. Go ahead and subscribe. Follow me at Casey Stern. Uh, We had a a great week just now. I mean, I had, geez, we had Howie Rose and Brendan Burke, the voice of the Islanders, and Buck Martinez was on, and Jason Stark this coming week. I've actually, I'll I'll preview tomorrow's show, which I think Met fans are going to like. Um, I've known Mark Bowman, who covers the Braves for MLB.com for about uh, 20 years. He and I worked together for years at MLB.com. And I have been having fun with him off the air about how much he has trolled this group and has the Mets, really you mean. He, uh, the, the Met fans has the had Mets a fans. lot of fun. Not he hard. has he has had Not a lot of fun on Twitter going back and forth with Met fans with the trumpets. So um <laughs> I don't know about sleeping with them, like the movie said, but podcasting with the enemy tomorrow uh is the title. Do you, uh, me and do you
1: believe they actually blamed Timmy trumpets for the Mets losing five games in a row at home because no, since they did and trumpets. Jerry
4: Seinfeld of all people, and I even love Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld. Seinfeld. I love Jerry Seinfeld. I Jerry, uh, Jerry me with that. you're better than that. Jerry on. was killing me. Jerry was killing me with that. I expected from other idiots, but Jerry was killing me. With that's
1: that. what Come that's on. a that's what I expect Jim Brewer to do, not Jerry Seinfeld. Come on, we're yeah, talking about
4: Jerry, Jerry, J- Jerry was killing me with that. Please, enough with the Timmy. I've had enough of Timmy's trumpets. To be honest with you, just me. Uh, I, I really who ca- I don't care. I want to shove a trumpet up everyone's ass and go win the playoffs. <laughs> that's all I want. I don't care. You'll like you know it because I mean? if
1: the trumpets are playing, the Mets are probably. Thank ahead. you. That's, that's the that's only you thing like I it. care about. That's and it. you know why Timmy Trumpets likes it because he just made more money on downloads. And I got killed oh, because I'm like I never heard of the guy. And I, I said to everybody, "Is is like City Field like the biggest crowd he's ever played in front of?" I'm not because the concert's usually twenty thousand people.
4: I saw the videos. It's crazy the amount of people I know. Leave. And everybody throws the videos and says I'm not. Hundreds recent. of thousand people. Yeah, hundred. Yeah,
1: crazy. You know what? E5, my friend. I'm left handed. E3. You know, I rolled that's it right. through
4: my legs. Casey, that's you're right. the best. You've appreciate always been you, a good
1: friend. Thank Be you, well. Buddy. Obviously, if there's anything we could do to promote, let us know and let's talk again, my friend. All right. i
4: Appreciate you, bud. We'll do it again. Soon. All right.
1: And that's Casey Stern, guys known from nlb Network Radio, TNT, TBS. Great stuff. All right. Let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking podcast. We back with more right after this. We think Mets fans are the best here on the Talking Mets podcast. But Eric Sherman, author of the book Kings of Queens, joined me on the show and shared why he thinks there's an intangible reason to why this group of fans is special.
2: You know, it goes back to their roots from Brooklyn. You know, I think more than anything. I I know that they're a morph between the Giants and the Dodgers, but I, I really believe the Mets fans at their core are those Crazy old Brooklyn Dodger fans, and um, and you put a winner, you know, their Mets fans are just kind of hanging in the weeds, and you know they put a good product on the field, they'll draw three million fans, and and they're a crazy, boisterous fan base, and they're a very intelligent fan base that appreciates their history. I mean, in what organization could George Theodore or Don yeah. Hahn um, Mackie you know, or, or, Sasser. Yeah, Mackie Duffy, Sasser. Duffy Dyer. You know, sure. these guys, 40, 50 years later, um, are still beloved names in Mets history. And it, it's just, um, you know, the the Mets players are just so precious to their fans. I don't think there's a fan base that appreciates their history, the good, bad, and the ugly, more than Mets fans.
1: Listen to this and more at www.talkingmetspodcast.com. All right, we're back. Final thoughts. So some interesting stuff. So Casey Stern does not agree with me and says that the Mets don't make it to the championship series. This season's a disappointment. I mean, I didn't expect anybody to agree that where the Mets are at and how they've cleaned this thing up in just 12 months and set themselves up for a really nice run over the next four or five year window. And then hopefully more depending on how their player development processes work. I didn't expect a lot of people to agree with me on that, but, and, and that's really where I'm at. I I mean, I don't disagree that when you look at this in a vacuum with the team, that Casey has some valid points. I think it's going to be really, really hard. Look, there is not an easy Series, this team is going to play in the postseason. None of the teams they play in a three game wild card series are going to be easy to beat. Corbin Burns is an ace. The Cardinals have a decent closer. They have some decent starting pitching. They have a couple of elite hitters in Goldschmidt and Arenado that could take over a series. The Phillies have Hopper, Real Muto, Castellanos, Schwaber. Schwaber alone could go bananas in three games and wreck a Mets season. Granted, you're going to be facing Scherzer and DeGrom, but you even heard what I had to say, you know, DeGrom, to me, has shown that post, you know, north of 80 to 85 pitches, he is a little bit pedestrian. Dansby Swanson got him late in Atlanta. Similar situation. Uh, you know, O'Neill got him today. Uh these are, these are things to look for. You know, obviously these are elite pitchers, Schurz and DeGrom. Not sure they're going to give you more than six innings. And then you get into the late innings with the bullpen. Anything can happen. And an offense that let's, let's face it has not shown over the last three or four weeks. They're able to really wreck a game. They did late. They could have easily scored, you know, they probably the games they won against the pirates. They could have easily scored three or four more runs each game by just executing with the bases, of runners on base. So, these are things to look for. Marte, obviously getting him back is huge. His bat, not having him in the field, if Casey's information is correct, is a big blow. Not that McNeil is that much of a downgrade, but he's not Marte in the field. And then you have Guillaume, but especially against left-handed pitching, you know, that's gonna be a, a tough situation. Interesting that he thought the Mets would be better served to play the Dodgers in a five-gamer and then a seven-gamer. I found that interesting, something that I really haven't thought too much about. I think it's easier to steal one in L.A., put the pressure on the Dodgers. Because let's face it, the Dodgers, with their historic team and their historic run, the pressure's really on them. Let's, let's face it. Yeah, the Mets have pressure, but I think the Dodgers have more. I get it. They won the championship in that shortened season. Does that really even count? Let's be honest. Do the players really feel the same about that than they would about winning this year? I get it. A ring is a ring. A trophy is a trophy. They didn't make the rules that year, but there is no way if we go back to the history of baseball, anyone's going to take that 2020 championship seriously and put it up there in Dodger lore with 88 or uh, 81, even though that was a strike season. I mean, come on. You and I know that that's not the case. So, interesting stuff from Casey Stern. Second, wanted to get into this a little bit. I really do believe that you know the Mets are searching for a team president. We didn't really get deep into that because not surprised that Sandy Alderson's on the way out. Sandy was only here to get Steve Cohen approved, be a bridge. The fact that he had to even answer the question that he's not involved in the baseball decisions—he's really never been, unless except for that period of time when they didn't have anybody. And quite honestly, he had a cabinet of people that were helping him. Sandy is not equipped to run a baseball operations anymore. He's antiquated. He probably was antiquated at the end of his Mets tenure. To be truthful, he became fairly stale very quickly into his Mets tenure. They had some really good pitching and infrastructure from Omar Manaya that allowed Sandy strength, which is uh, building a, uh, a strong organization, especially amidst the chaos that the Wilpons created with their cash flow issues. Uh, so uh, the fact that Alderson is here, he's here to kind of shepherd Cohen into the ownership club. That was it. So my point about Billy Billy Epler really is that I think Billy Epler has done some nice things. And I hear him talk, and he's a smart guy. But I think the danger that Billy Epler is facing right now, and maybe the way the Mets are and the position they are in their current arc because they have had uh, so little impact this year on the farm system— He's he's seen over the last couple of years. The Mets haven't really been able to dig deep into the farm system to help the current big league roster. You know, last year they had Jared Eichoff's of the world and Robert Stocks making starts. Now this year you went to McGill and Peterson, who are homegrown talents, but you still had to use Trevor Williams. And you've been fortunate where they've been. Yes, Degrom and Scherzer haven't been healthy. They've been relatively lucky that those guys, um, you know, have have haven't really hurt them. Their injuries haven't hurt them. Their offseason was built by bringing in mercenaries, guys that are from outside the organization, Marte and Cana, uh, Eduardo Escobar. Now you're starting to see guys like Beatty, Vientos, Alvarez, potentially. And let's face it, you're seeing how, at what level, you have to play to win a championship and to win a division. And right now in the National League, it's a high level. Forget the Braves. You got the Cardinals. You got the Padres who are gonna have clearly a better season next year once Soto gets situated into that whole thing. And, you know, they they put all the chips to the center table with that. You never know what these young teams like the Pirates and the Nats, with all the talent they acquired, when do they eventually put it together? Kind of like what the Orioles did. San Francisco's always a threat. The Dodgers are out there and they're They've been this really, really strong organization now for a decade. So if you're going to win and win at a big time level, not just have a fun season, play meaningful games and maybe get into the muck and get into the wild card and have some you know make some noise, you got to play at a high level. And you have no idea of any of these young players the Mets have. So far, I haven't seen anybody come up and be the next right Reyes. I haven't seen that. You know when guys are elite and ready to be big time contributors, they come into the game like David Wright did. Like Jose Reyes did, guys like that, you know, like Pete Alonso did, like Jeff McNeil did, you know, you they don't, there's not this like, oh, it's gonna be three, four years from now. Now, I know not everybody's like that, but you know when they first come in to me, Mark Vientos, Brett Beatty, I'm not so sure they might be good, solid contributors, but I'm not sure they're elite. And if you're gonna have a sustainable winner, outside of this four- or five-year period where you have this really interesting veteran group that you're going to hope to try to keep together, you're going to need that supplementary kind of players. Here's the other part. Billy Epler talks about probabilistic outcomes. And I'm telling you, he's talked about He talked about it to Joel Sherman recently about his thinking at the deadline. He talked about it on a press conference uh, right after the deadline. Fans aren't going to put up with that. Now, you can't manage the organization based on what the fans want. But I'll tell you, at some point, the Mets failed to make a move, and they try to sell probabilistic outcomes as the reason they didn't make a move. Billy Epler is going to be scorched. It's back to when, and I'll use the best example, back in 2004, the Mets passed on Vladimir Guerrero, and they brought in Kareem Garcia and Shane Spencer, and they tried to sell how a platoon of those two guys was as good as Guerrero. Now, Mets tried to kind of do that with Vogel, back, and Ruff in a different way, and Surely it actually makes sense for a DH position on a team that had offensive talent around it, but nobody believes Vogelback and Ruff together are Juan Soto. Could they be Josh Bell? You know what? I think Josh Bell is a better player, and you definitely want that everyday player that could be consistent. It was a fine way of going about things in a situation where, according to Billy Epler, and it's funny because... The media and the fans didn't agree. The Mets didn't give up any of their top 19 or 20 prospects. Now, it's a shame that J.D. Davis, who's hitting pretty well in San Francisco, couldn't be Darren Ruff. Because to me, I felt he always was the answer here. He never showed it. Probably needed ch- change of scenery. But one thing I'll say about Billy Eppler that I've seen this year, the only criticism I could have was two. One, I think his post-lockout moves were not as stellar as his pre-lockout moves. Uh, obviously, getting Bassett was big. But I thought around the fringes, especially with a left-handed reliever, you know, maybe a little bit with the DH spot. They relied too much on Dom Smith. I I can't even really criticize them about J.D. I thought relying on Dom Smith was a bad move because there was no indication that Dom Smith was any good. And I also think that the way he speaks to the media, because he doesn't speak a lot, is honest and it's respectful and it's forthright. But it's too inside baseball, and I think it's going to get him eventually in trouble with the fans. And it's going to get him criticism when things don't go well. Mets are having a great season, like I told KC. So nobody cares. If the Mets were in a different position and Billy Upler had said that at the deadline and then reiterated that this week with Joel Sherman of the New York Post, you'd be get he'd be getting far more criticized. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Finally, you guys got a chance to see. Now, I don't know if you guys heard or you are on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. I had a chance to get a small little plug there on SMY. I didn't see it. I think somebody sent it to me. I think our friend We Go and Sizzler sent it to me. And if it wasn't him, it was somebody else. I apologize. we were right on the outro. I was leaving the ballpark. I had seats in the Hyundai Club last yesterday. I had a chance, section 119. I was at. I was in the building. I don't get to go to a lot of games. I'm not. What I do here doesn't require me to be in the locker room. The Mets are going to give me field passes. I don't need field passes to go down there and watch batting practice. It'd be cool, and you could get around the ballpark and be in the press box and get to meet people. But quite honestly, for what I do. Staying as impartial as distant from the team as possible. Sometimes is a good thing, but I get a chance to go as a fan, enjoy the ball game, Hyundai Club, some good food, get to see the. You know, I go once or twice a year to Met Game. I haven't been to a game all year in the in, at City Field. It's the first trip I made here is September last weekend of the season. So there was this Pirates fan on the way out with a bag on his head. Saying we stink, basically. And I went to go take a picture of him. And then I, because the camera well is right over there as I'm walking down the steps to leave the ballpark, and the guy's flashing the camera on him. And I think somebody saw a shot of me actually using my cell phone to take a picture. So it's on Twitter at Mike Silver Media. I'll probably repost it again and what have you. And I'll obviously keep it for my own collection. I think on the way out while they were saying goodbye, I don't know if I got on SMY, somebody grabbed it. I don't know if it was on the post game show. Somehow it was there. I don't know if you guys saw it, but that's me with the camera, with the cell phone, taking a picture, wearing a black sweatshirt and an orange and white Mets hat. Now the criticism I got from the masses on Twitter was that I should be wearing, a, a, I should be a professional. I should be wearing a good jersey. You know, maybe my Keith Hernandez jersey, my Wright jersey, my Piazza jersey, my Beltran jersey. I got a b- bunch of them stowed away. I just decided to wear a sweatshirt and some jeans, and that I'm not wearing the official Mets hat. I'm wearing kind of a pseudo Mets hat. You know, it's a hat that I got in Montauk with my wife. It was a gift. I like it. It's it's. Sometimes you got to go a little alternative when it comes to the uh, the 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 merch. Is that what they call it? The merch is what the young people call it. I promise, if I go to a playoff game or when it push comes to shove, I'll have the official attire on there. Because the other hat I have is a 2015 postseason hat, and I wore it for about a year or so, maybe two years after the World Series, and I felt like well. This is stupid now. Why am I wearing this? So I wound up getting this hat in Montauk, which I thought was pretty cool. It was a little bit different. I liked the color, you know. But you're right. I probably should get a regular Mets hat. Bad job by me. Whatever. You guys want to get uh, in touch with me? Give me your thoughts. Hopefully, you had a chance to see me. Hopefully, I didn't, uh, you know, break your 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 screen with my 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 terrible looks or whatever you may want to call it. But anyway, I had fun at the ballpark last night. City feels is a great ballpark. And the energy was pretty good. And I've been a little worried because the crowds weren't great earlier in the homestand. And I still think that the Mets fan is not – as I said in the open, the Mets fan is not appreciating this season. And I think part of that is that it, it would not be like this if the Mets were 5-6 or like 0-6 oh, were running away with the division. I think this would be like a dream season for them. But because the Braves have played at such a high level and because the division is – Far from a certainty. And in a lot of ways, if you want to look at the math, I think a lot of people are in my corner say Mets lost the golden opportunity this week to put themselves in a position where maybe they're not the favorites anymore. But regardless, it doesn't take away how fun of a season it's been and, and the moments that it's created and the memories it's created and the foundation of this window. I mean, I don't want to compare it to 1984, 85 with those teams. But remember, those teams didn't win either until two or three years into their run. So a little bit different, younger team, team that needed to grow with some young players, but I still think that to be where the Mets were 12 months ago, never mind 24 months ago or 36 months ago, 12 months ago, and to be here on a cusp of 100 wins and a total 180 in terms of the culture, I, I think it's a success, and I think we should appreciate it. That doesn't mean we're satisfied, and that doesn't mean I accept losing or I advocate losing, or we can't, if they do lose and don't hit their goals, we can't do an honest post-mortem. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we should appreciate where they're at a little bit because this is good problems to have. Good problems are, hey, we could win 100 games as a team. When teams have good problems, we could win 100 games and not win the division. We could win 102 games and not win the division. Those are good problems. Bad problems are, you know, this team's a mess. They got three GMs. They can't, you know, they don't have the money to to attach any kind of uh, significant. Teams that are going to have to take on contracts, so they can't get any significant pro- prospects for any of their their talent they're selling off. Like we could be talking about next year already, or a lot of you could be saying, "I don't care about the Mets. I'm just going to watch football." You know, t- tell me when the the Jets and the Giants kick off. So much. Not that we should be satisfied as as the Talking Mets podcast is not satisfied with the Mets are. We're just appreciative of where the season has gone. And regardless of where this ends up, I think the floor is a pretty good place and the ceiling could be an awesome situation. That's all I'm going to say. All right, that's it. want to thank Casey Stern for joining me on this uh, latest edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. You can check him out on Twitter at Casey Stern as well as the Unfiltered Podcast. Go to his Twitter account to get that and go link up to it and go check him out. You can check me out all the time at thetalkimetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media. And you can show an Apple Podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G. Mike Silva at... Talkingmenspodcast.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. Buckle up. Big, big, big games this week. Enjoy the divisional race. Enjoy the pen race. Try to enjoy this thing. Till next time, take care, everybody. Peace.